Bienvenidos a la Chicana Mother Work Podcast. This is Cecilia, Christine, Judy, Yvette, Michelle from the Chicana Mother Work Collective. We are a collective of Chicana, PhD, mother scholars, artists, and activists. The Chicana Mother Work Podcast aims to create a communal space for dialogue that sheds light on how the labor of mothering can be a transformative act within academia and beyond. Porque sin madres no hay revolución. Chicana Mother Work is intergenerational. Chicana Mother Work means carving space. Chicana Mother Work means healing ourselves. Chicana Mother Work is an imaginary. Chicana Mother Work makes our labor visible. Our labor is our prayer. Our mothering is our offering. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's a pleasure to be here today with four amazing mamas. Welcome to the Chicana Mother Work podcast. Today, this is Judy calling in from Ontario, California. We're joined by Yvette, who's zooming in from Santa Barbara, and our special guest, Doctora Neri Oliva Camacho, zooming in from uh, Marina, California, and Catherine Maldonado from Riverside, California. So let me do a little short intro. We are really excited to be here today, platicando with my amazing amiga, Chicana friend, mama scholar, Doctora Nereida Olivo Camacho, and also our soon-to-be doctora, Catherine Maldonado. Um, we are honored to have the two mujeres today to discuss their experiences in living the everyday life of mothers of color in society and how that only gets worse when you are having to deal with um, the family court system. Both Nereida and Catherine are contributors of our powerful um, Chicana Motherwork anthology, so we have that um, immediate connection with them, but there's um, also per more personal note. I met Nereida, and we have been homies um, since um, undergrad, and then graduate school as, as well. And we became mothers at the same time um, as graduate students and have been home since then. And our, and our daughters are also hanging out together um, through Zooms, doing their little Zoom talks. So we constantly FaceTime, we check in with each other, how our class is doing, how our lives, how our mothering, how are we failing, succeeding, um, how our classes are going and how we're constantly being treated. We're both adjuncts, so we have that connection as well. Um, Catherine is another young, amazing mama with so much influence on our youth. Um, um, I heard about Catherine's uh, state uh, violence uh, through when she submitted her, her, her call. And also it was very powerful when we um, saw her UCLA uh, presentation. I think for all of the uh, contributors, we never, you know, we didn't, we didn't meet him um, face to face. And so I think uh, once we met her face to face and she presented her work, it was very powerful. And to know um, what she went through and the work she's doing. Um, so we decided to do this podcast. We've been wanting to do it. So today's podcast is about Chicana mamas dealing with the family court system. And we have a few questions for them. And they're going to share their experience and some knowledge and how they're sort of navigating and surviving this. Um, so we'll have Dr. Nereida Oliva Camacho present, and then we'll have Catherine Maldonado as well tell us a little bit about themselves, and then we'll, we'll go on with the interview. Hi, um, thank you all for for having us. Uh, my name is is Nelly Oliva. Um, I am a mother to a nine year old Anabel. Um, currently, um, I teach, um, I teach ethnic studies and also sociology at, at Harnell College. Um, and a lot of my work has been focused on um, like really exploring and understanding the experiences of Latina mothers. Um, like my dissertation study really focused on like more of the educational leadership component of that. Um, and more recently being at the community college and being with a lot of um, student parents and particular student mothers, like that's kind of where my research has also focused um, as well or extended to, but you know, it's, it's all kind of inter, interconnected. 
Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having us here. I'm super grateful I'm able to make it to this talk and, and really expand on conversations that, are, that I feel are very needed right now. Uh, my name is Catherine Maldonado. I'm a mama of three little boys, uh, my nine-year-old uh, Benito, my six-year-old Ricardo, and my three, almost four-year-old Damian. Um, so I've navigated higher education um, with my kids all throughout. Uh, I'm doing my PhD in sociology at UC Riverside and my work, uh, my personal, my political, my research work is all intersecting. Uh, my work focuses on institutional violence, state violence, the experiences of gang-affiliated uh, Chicanas, um, how they navigate the system, how they resist it, uh, how, they, how they navigate different forms of criminalization. And um, I'm expanding on that for dissertation work, also how it impacts uh, mental And so that's, that's part of my research, but also in my, in my personal and more activist-oriented work. I also do like trauma-informed workshops, things of that, um, so that, so that it, it can all connect to like my research as well um, to, to, to give back to the community. So a bit about me. Thank you so much for um, both of you for being here, taking the time to, to talk to us about your work and what you're going through personally and how it can help other moms that are going through the similar, you know, scenarios or, you know, giving them heads up and supporting them. So I do wanted to do, or we want to do quick check-ins um, with you all. So how are you doing, especially with, with the news? We were talking about this prior to uh, setting up, how heavy it is for, for us, for our children to talk about it. Um, facing it and how you know how we how we're doing so how's everyone um I'm doing well um, um you know very fortunate to be able to to be home to stay home to work from home and so um there's a lot of things um going on but um I think overall we're doing good and and we I am you know taking it day by day with whatever with whatever comes yeah, I think um, we're doing okay. You know, we take it on some days, we take it one day at a time. Other days, it's an hour at a time, right? Like sometimes I can't structure the entire day the way I for it. So I just like, I'm like, you know what? It's okay. Like we can just go an hour at a time. And if I had to structure, if we don't have to do it, we can just go outside and play all day. Like that's how we've been rolling mm -hmm. um, since this started because I'm alone with them uh, all the time. You know, it's just me. I'm away from family. With the three kids, you know, I feel like some days my day, my entire day goes up in cleaning, cooking, playing with them. And that's, that's what I can do, you know? So I'm just trying to understand that uh, this is the, the, this is, this is what's going to be going on and trying to, you know, insert my work somewhere in there. Um, so we're trying to, we've been getting involved in some, some rallies. So that's helping us stay grounded in terms of the justice work that we're doing. Um, and, and also getting them involved is, is helping is helping us deal with a lot of the coming up that, that keeps overwhelming us. So uh, that's that's how we're doing. Just some days, an hour at a time. That's how it is. And this is Yvette. Um, we're doing, I think we're doing well. Um, the past few days have been rough. And I think that's just because there's so much going on with everything in Minnesota anti-black violence and um, having to, you know, feeling like you, we all have that responsibility to talk to our kids about race, racism, violence, about death, about the conversations that black folks shouldn't just be having with their kids. We should be with our kids. And so that's what's been hard is just feeling that, that rage and that, that, you know, the sadness um, on behalf of our fellow black brothers and sisters. And then feeling like there's only so much you can do, like, you know, uh, having folks ask, like, what are you going to do? 
are you going to donate to the ACLU? Are you going to have more conversations? Are you going to go to rallies? Like, what, what can you do? And, and that's been hard because sometimes it feels like, you know, what, what is enough to do? Um, so we're doing okay, I think. Um, but I realized that, that, I, that we come from, like, that space of privilege of, like, being able to shut down social media when it becomes too much. Um, so just trying to do the best that I can to do my part and and whatever it is that I can handle. So that's where we are. Yes, I think it's a little bit of everyone. I um, Same here, I take it. Some days are more successful. Some days are real chill. Like we're just not gonna do it. Some days we just kind of talk about what's going on in the news and the next day we feel drained. So I just, I was telling Yvette that um, I was trying to talk to my kids about um, racism and what's going on in the news and how do you talk to them about that when you also tell them like, follow you know like in terms of when you cross the street make sure you look both ways but then we're you know you're seeing them going the opposite direction and so it throws off what what i tell them because i'm like well they're speaking out this is what protest is about you know and they're so how do you tell so it's 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 kind of it's confusing for them in a sense where it's like you told us we can't you know cross the streets or you don't walk on the freeways but then it's it's bigger than that right and so um i feel like a lot of times it's a lot for them to take in um but I mean, they they absorb everything and they're listening and they're hearing our conversations that we're having, as Yvette was saying, you know, as adults, we have these conversations with each other. So they're listening. It's a lot, but it's it's much needed. And, and so that's where I'm at, too. So but thank you all for sharing. We're going to go ahead and start with the interview um, questions that we have for you. So I wanted to start off by asking both of you, what is your experience with the state violence family court system? Um, how did your children end up becoming part of the court system rulings? Um, so whoever wants to start, feel free. Yeah, I'll go first. <laughs> so I've been, um, I was kind of introduced to the family court system uh, very personally, like in 2018, sorry. Um, and it all started with, um, you know, um, kind of a petition for like parental rights um, uh, for my daughter with um, someone that I was in a relationship with and you know who who my daughter does know who my daughter um, you know had or has a relationship with um, and so um, I, I had to go through the through the process um, we actually got a court hearing um, in like the first actual court hearing that we did have um the judge did decide to give um the the, the individual like parental rights right um regardless of the fact that um you know he's not the biological parent um there's some like inconsistencies um in like you know what his involvement has actually been um and and so everything that has happened since then is very much based on, on, um, on that decision. And so we're, you know, kind of still working through through some of the trenches, but trenches. But um, part of that too, part of that decision too, is also like I'm at the trial court level, but I'm also at um, the state court of appeals level. So I am appealing um, the court case. So I'm kind of like. Um, my like my involvement like my presence in the state of the court of appeals is like very minimal um and so i'm kind of like in between them like and kind of um at them at the same time too um yeah for me uh about state violence and my involvement it's been really my entire life i've been navigating the court system my entire life in different uh branches of it right um 
and then I guess I want to set some context to what when we talk about state violence here for for listeners who are who are tuning in and trying to understand what we what we what we refer to as state violence first of all is um you know I grab from different different uh, sociologists anthropologists to get a, a, a an understanding a conceptual understanding of what it is and for me it's it's that direct harm right like that it's 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 violence that is not that may not be physical but it's harmful right it's that is happens gradual over time and space, like um, Nixon talks about, or uh, Cecilia Menjivar talks about violence that cannot be reduced to individuals, that gender violence is intersected with other forms of state violence, right? Um, it's violence that is normalized, that distracts us, that is not that is distracted by physical forms of violence. And so when I think about state violence, I think about violence from institutional actors that has that have harmed myself and my family, right? So that's a, just a little bit of context on what we're referring to when we think about that. Um, my experience has been in several cases. I had a case as an undergrad, which is the, what I wrote about in the in the chapter uh, with the child welfare system. Um, that case uh, was uh, my my son had an accident uh, with the plancha, like like many of us have when we're when we're young, right? We have an accident with the plancha, and that was um, that that took us to to get a. A huge child welfare case where my kids were removed. Um, my kid, my kids were placed on a fast track for adoption, and so I had to fight really hard um, to 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 you know keep them with me. And um, you know from that experience, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot of the harm that it causes. Uh, my observations, even while being in the court, interacting with social workers, the decisions uh, judges make um, just so much right and and the the harm it caused to my to my family my kids my kids ended up in the foster care uh, the hospital that where they take all the kids who are removed in LA County um, you know they weren't given water food um, we had like one hour visitations it was just super super traumatic all right and, and I wrote it in the chapter as a as a method of healing for myself because I wanted to put on paper what it was like to navigate that but also to call out, you know, what I was, call out particular the child welfare system, which is what I, I navigated, right? Um, so that, that was the case as an undergrad. Fortunately, it was closed and, and I kept custody of my kids. But um, given that, you know, we're, we're as mothers of color, we're uh, in constant danger of catching cases. Um, I, I argue that because our race, class, and gender, and then other identities, uh, make us more vulnerable to to catch cases and and so for me in graduate school um i went to the family court again for divorce and that ended up just pausing because their father was incarcerated so that case is sort of on pause um and then again i went through another uh more cps cases that i caught for domestic violence cases right and and that's something that um again it changed my life completely and i'm still processing it i, ho I hope to write about it to to again call out what happened uh, to me and my kids in the process, right? Because the first things that social workers said were, um, you already know how this goes. Um, if you don't want your kids taken away, you know what to do. And that's the first thing they said when they walked in my house again with with uh, with UCPD, with um, Riverside Police, you know. And so for me, that that triggered a lot of the traumas that I went through for my first for my first case. But then, um, you know, I I, I got closer to to understanding just paid attention closer to the harm that it was doing again because this time this time it was different right it was domestic violence and you would as a victim 
of domestic violence, like they're, they're, they should be somehow advocating, but that's not the case. Um, and that's a form of, of state violence that, that, it, that happened again in graduate school. And, um, and in terms of my case, uh, it's a very, uh, it's hard to talk about because, um, you know, I had a social worker show up last year uh, throughout the year and I had social worker show up this year. And then not only that, but I had a, a virtual social worker visit because of COVID, right? Like where they interviewed my kids and interviewed me. And that was super fucking traumatic. Like it was, like I couldn't uh, once again understand how uh, that constant surveillance was going to keep happening in the midst of we're already struggling, right? We already have a energy in the world that is is just causing so much anxiety, right? And so, um, you know, they they told me that my case would get closed because this time I was able to move faster. I knew how to navigate it, right? But I never got a call in terms of the closure. So, um, and I don't want a call to ask because um, honestly, out of out of fear. I'm afraid that that I was a case that they forgot about and then that they'll come back and tell me, oh, you know what, like, guess what, like your kids are, will get removed, right? Because that's what happened the first time, like they'll disappear and they'll come back. So out of fear, I don't want to call back. Um, so I think that that's, that in itself, navigating that right now, it's it's teaching me a lot of how how do I stay grounded when I'm fearful that um, anyone can show up all the time and, and my kids, can just in in the midst of this can be removed right and and this is when this is what I refer to as is is just is violent right to so have to navigate that when we're already exposed to a lot of violence as we can see with everything that's going on in the world so that's that's kind of where I'm at in a very limbo stage but but um I'm trying to find gratitude in, in navigating that thank you both of you for sharing um I mean uh my my partner and I, we both had a similar case with uh, CPS a few years back in 2016 as I was finishing my PhD. So Catherine, just hearing you say that, the trauma of people coming up unannounced, checking up on you and your kids, it's like, you know, it's, it's something that I, I feel very, very much uh, for you. And I'm, I'm just curious for both of you, I would like for you both to let us know if you're comfortable, like what is your status right now with your children? Uh, and the family court system today. Um, as of right now, um, the way that, um, like, like I mentioned, like I'm, I'm, you know, the decision has been made. I am waiting on the appeal. However, um, it's like it's written. The court order is written. Like I have like full custody and everything um, for a year. And so that is done with the idea that like kind of on hold, um, depending on what where the appeal moves, right? But however, because of COVID, um, I don't know. Well, first of all, appeals move very slowly, can move very slowly. Um, and so even more now with um, COVID, um, I'm, my assumption is like it's going to move a little bit um, um, slower. I do know that folks are still um, working. Um, and so right now, um, um, there's a, there's a, like the court order. So there are visitations, there are like that. I have to follow that. Like, um, and it's written in a way, um, and this is also comes from like, um, I have to do a child custody evaluation, um, where, um, my, like, 
us and like the adults and also my child had to go sit with a, a therapist and they had to evaluate and you know um Is this in person yeah so this was this was done um like almost a year ago i don't even remember um but again right like going to that surveillance that Catherine was talking about like now we have all these folks involved and they're they're watching us like they're watching us from their perspective from their lens and ultimately making all these decisions right and so like um up until that point it was just me going to court me being involved me talking to lawyers um and at this point this is where my daughter now physically is part of this process too right where she is now being watched um and again like it it, it it's it was really uncomfortable um because it's like like you're watching me you're watching me you're you're um in your mind you're analyzing my every move um oh but my point was is like the the it's written to the point where like if I don't follow everything that's said here, I jeopardize losing full custody or having that, um, um, you know, that right, like that, that with, for my daughter. And I think um, that causes a lot of fear. And I think that um, like ultimately, like where, where it talks about, you know, asking where I'm at, like, you know, with my daughter, it's like really, this puts me in a position where it's like, I'm fighting to really um, protect my relationship with my daughter, to not be separated from her in any way, right? Um, because, you know, the state now is saying like, no, this is how it's going to be. And then so it's like, like, there's a legality component to it. But there's also like that much more personal that, you know, is often dismissed when we're having these conversations in terms of like, why are, why are, why are people resist? It's like, I'm trying to keep this relationship. Like, I don't want it to be interrupted or disrupted because you feel that that is the best thing for us. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Eddie. Um, I, I think it's, yeah, it's a constant fear. Um, my, my status, I have full custody. Um, you know, their, their father's incarcerated. Um, which is another separate case I uh, have in family court. But then for my other case that recently got open, I don't know the status. Um, again, because of fear, I don't want to, I rather think that it was closed and they just forgot. It was a minimal thing that they had to in intervene in and, and um, it was closed. But um, I think at some point I, I need to make the decision of calling in because they're not calling me to tell me your, your case was closed or they're not sending me an email, right? So again, it's that okay. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just wondering, did you? How did you find out that the uh, the previous case was closed? Uh, last year, they they told me. So the the case from last year, yeah. So they I told them send me an email like I want uh you know written documentation that it's closed mm -hmm. after filing for everything I have to do, taking classes, everything that I had to do again uh to, to keep custody. And this we just time, got a letter, so I was wondering like how do people get notified because. We got a letter in the mail. Nobody ever since ever ever told us anything, and so I'm curious. Like, do they ever tell you? Do they just just send paperwork, or you know, in some cases, like you said, they don't say anything at all. Yeah. So the first time around, it was uh, a direct. Like the social workers told me, like your case is gonna get closed. We're almost done. Um, and so the judge ruled it was your case is closed. Um, that was like the big one. Last year, it was uh, the social worker who's send me an email notifying me, okay, your case is closed. 
you've done any, everything to keep your, your, your custody. Um, this time around, they told me that they would notify me and they didn't. But because of everything, I'm just so fearful and being active and like, oh, is it close? You know, because I, fe I fear what the, the decision is, even though they told me that they just had to follow up some interviews. So it, they, they have different methods, um, you know, of, of telling you if it's closed or not. Another question, and I just because I know how hard it was for, for Nettie to even like find support, find people that understand and are not going to blame her. For, for this. And so I want our next question is what are some ways that you had to navigate or any tools that you have to search to become familiar with the court system? Because, you know, oftentimes you're alone on this. There's not a lot of support, even um, from family members, right? Because we know how it is. How did you all go about with that? Um, I think I'm still learning. I think I'm still learning um, what the whole process is. And, um, and, and I think for me, it's also like I'm in a very unique situation. So my case is not necessarily like the typical case that folks see. Um, I have a, like, um, and even just like even more context for my case, like, um, um, because this is what I always hear is like, well, um, a parent doesn't have to be biological. And so, um, you know, I, I, I do agree with that, right? Like there is, there is that, right? Um, and so, um, here in the state of California, um, um, folks can go petition, right? Because we have folks that, um, whether it be like same-sex same marriages or same-sex parent, whatever it may be, right? Like, or uh, adoption, right? Um, and I know that in some states, it's not, it's not like that. Like, it's like, no, it's just biological. Um, and so I'm still learning. Um, and I mentioned that because um, it's very hard to find support because as soon as I bring up some of the context, that's the first thing I hear, like, well, um, like parents can be, they don't have to be biological or, um, or um, when they also mention like, well, I'm appealing the case, it's like, well, aren't you worried of how that's gonna damage your daughter or what that damage is gonna do to your daughter? And so like, it's really hard to find support um, within the system, within like all these, um, like I mentioned, like all these actors, right? Like everyone is now like i'm i'm being pushed to a corner um and pretty much like no you have to you have to um get in line with what we decided for you and you're actually not this good parent that you say you are because you're resisting and you're denying your daughter of you know what may be in her best interest which is like the the phrases that are always used um and so like in terms of um um within the system i like i have not found um support um i do i do have um legal representation and so they have um you know been supportive i have looked for like other folks outside um and i think i do get um like feedback um and just because too i think like my case too um um is really a matter of like reproductive justice and so, especially as a single mother of color, right? Like, what does it mean, um, well, first of all, for us um, women of color to even be able to have kids, whether we choose to or not, right? But then also to raise them the way that we want to raise them and have full, full autonomy or full control over that. Um, and so I think um, much of like anything, any resources, any support has been like, you know, family and community, not necessarily within these, 
these systems. And I point that out because um, a lot of the folks that, that get involved because of the rule, um, sometimes like they're more harmful than helpful. And I think we don't realize that. Like that includes mediators, that includes um, counselors, that includes um, therapists. And I say that because um, to really, to also understand like my case too, like you have to be really familiar with like abuse, like emotional, psychological abuse. And I don't think people are, are um, and I don't think people are comfortable in discussing it. And I think, um, um, you know, um, like for some reason, like it's just so easy for folks to like dismiss that. And, um, um, and if anything, I become much more triggered because it's like, wait, like you're not understand, then you're not understanding it, you know? Yeah, in terms of, of tools, um, uh, similar to, to Nettie, like uh, there's, there's definitely a lack of support within the system. And, and for me personally, I just don't trust anyone in there, um, anyone from social workers to judges to PDs to, uh, to anybody in there. So I definitely, I had to, you know, forcefully engage with them, but, um, but I had to find my tools outside. So it was, it was hitting up my homegirls who've been through all these cases. It was through my own research that I, I learned a lot of how people navigate and have to step away from institutional support and find it underground, right? Like how do you find it within community and, and for folks who've navigated these cases, what did you do? What did you not do? What did you say, right? Um, so that for me was was more of what I, I learned. And then obviously through my research, I also I learned a lot of what, um, you know, Black women in particular, how they've navigated these systems and and how they resisted. So um, it's been a lot of, uh, a little bit of, a lot of community, uh, just learning from my my homegirls and, and also like, uh, what what do uh, black feminist scholars uh, have to say about navigating these systems too? All right. Now I also want we want to hear about how your children are doing. So like, how are your kids making sense of all of this? Um, do you have ongoing conversations, discussions about this with them? Um, just anything that you're comfortable sharing about how your kids are navigating this too? Yeah. Um, for for my kids. Um, they're they're doing good you know like i feel like the the pandemic right now it's helping us build our relationship because in so much time together um we're we're building we're growing we're engaging in critical conversations we're hiking and we're talking about so many things that i feel like because we're we're always on structure uh it, it's it intervene it interferes in our relationship a lot and and now we're we're having these conversations they're Again, like I said uh, earlier, like I, I don't trust the system, so I, I don't trust even the care models implemented within therapy. So um, because I myself as a child had to forcefully go through that. So I, I don't I don't believe in that personally for my own kids. But um, so I have to, you know, organically learn all these healing uh, coping mechanisms from, again, uh, elders, from healers, from, you know, from different way from different places and people so that I can practice that with my kids. So a lot of the things that I'm doing with myself, like, you know, meditating, um, sound bathing, stretching, yoga, exercising, all of these things I'm doing that with them as a way, you know, so that we can begin to heal our bodies and minds from a lot of the trauma that we've been through. 
And when it comes down to like having these conversations, like I openly have them with my kids, you know, when, when, when my kids get triggered with something, with a place, with a person, with a, a, a police car, with a social workers, whatever they get, we get triggered off and they get triggered off. Like we'll have conversations. We'll cry it out. You know, sometimes it means we'll cry it out together because it hurts us and, and we're fearful. Right. Um, but it's it's uh it's a process that we're learning how to how to deal with all together but um, overall like i think that we're learning how to build relationship right now and we have the time and privilege and resources to do that um Annabelle, um annabelle's doing well um i think we forget like how how resilient um kids are um but i think for me um i have to be mindful that she's also experiencing this and that experience is like um could be completely different than what i am experiencing and so um she's doing well um i think there have been very challenging moments um where there are breakdowns right so like us too like we cry it out like we literally like um you know we'll sit in the restroom right or like um annabelle um annabelle does see a therapist she's like i've had her in therapy for a while um and so annabelle um just the way she is like she she's she doesn't always um 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 verbally like communicate what she's feeling but like i know her and i could like i i know it you know so it's it's me just kind of um talking to her um i do explain some of it um not to the to the extent of what it is um but but you know again like um um i don't know if right now she's able to understand um fully what is going on i like i have a feeling that when she's older it's when she's gonna like understand it a little bit better and like talk about it and be like oh yeah like you know things like that but i think um too right like um um being home um i'm able to spend that much more time with her like um just um um and i think that's also helped too like even to the point like well we're, we're playing with dolls now right and so like those are even things that we perhaps didn't even get time to do before and so like i think for for like even like that like that's part of like how we're also moving through this um because you know um again like she's she's also experiencing this and 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 i'm learning um how to be supportive of her you know through 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 this situation and through this experience thank you both i think i had a sort of follow up question to that um i think um Catherine, you talked about how you don't trust anybody that talks to your children so i think because they're you know they're forced to to talk to them how do you explain it do you prep them up prior to talking to like a therapist let's say for example um do they know uh just anything i think because it's, it's it's so hard because a lot of times the therapists come in there with this idea that they're here to support them and help them out but i think you know based on your own experience that you can't really trust their intentions right and sometimes it feels like they're kind of putting them against you um so i mean the same goes with doctors too yeah 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 we we definitely have conversations about it unfortunately like the times that they, it's been very like they just pop up it is just like well you just you say the your truths you know your truths as a, as what you experience what you see you say your truths right and and i that's something they have clear like speak speak what you experience and 
but um you, you're right like you know folks can flip things like oh. and, and it's unfortunate but for the times where I, we are prep where pe- folks are going to show up then i do t- have conversations you know have conversations about you know um how, what what's how much of our personal life can you share because my kids can talk you know they can they can say so much and they and then and then i feel like um folks are looking for something to to feed into the case of removal and separation of family like that's what they're looking for and so I feel like for my older for my oldest like he understands he understands what they're here for like he my, my they call them uh, family police you know uh the social workers and and anyone that has to do with that you know they they call them family police and so they know that they're not here for a good thing and, and I've, I've had conversations with my oldest about why and and how he's like how is it possible and all these things right but but I definitely have conversation with all of them together and then each of them because each of the, uh, their ages require different things. Yeah. And so I, I've had to learn how to do that prep work um, before, after, right? There's also the after of what happens post-interviews. Um, there's a lot that comes with that. Yes, it's as if you become like the, the post-therapist prior to them actually talking to one, right? And that's hard. That's so hard. That takes a lot more work for you. And and I think a lot of times they do. Their children are honest, and they're gonna share, you know, everything. And sometimes they also get, they're honest, but then sometimes they say things that just sound off or wrong. Yeah. Or things like my son, he sucks on his skin, and gives himself like bruises. And I'm like, dude. Oh yeah. Bruises. People are gonna think I'm fucking <laughs> you or something. You know, like little anything that a kid does innocently in many ways can be interpreted the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, and it's scary. Uh, so the next one is, how has uh, such experience impacted your mothering over on sense of self? And I think this has to do a lot with, as being researcher, I think you've used your skills as researchers to inform your, yourself. And, um, and a lot of times there's not a lot of women that, that don't have access to that sort of research and information, right? So I think, Another important question to add to that is how have you been treated knowing that you do have an education yet and, and yet the court systems continue to dismiss that about you, right? To them, you're just, you know, uh, another mother of color that um, doesn't, you know, know how to take care of their children according to them, right? And then do you ever point to them like, I have an education, you know, or how do you do that? I think this whole experience, um, well, I think um, for me, like, um, you know, being a single mother, like it was always, um, you know, having to deal with the the guilt, the self-doubt. But I think um, being in this situation, like makes me that more like self-conscious about like anything like, oh my God, if I do this, does this mean that they can use this against me? Or like, can they take me back into court? Um, And so like, that's always in the back um, of my mind. And I think, um, you know, I have to, I have to, um, work through that. Right. But like, in terms of like my, like overall, um, I would just say like, not necessarily just mothering, but I say relationship with my daughter. I think, um, um, you know, um, I think I'm more, um, intentional in terms of what I do and what I don't do with my daughter of like what I tell her, um, um, what is it that I want to teach her? Um, what is it that, you know, like that I want her to get, um, out of this? And so like, I, I have to, and then I also have to be like, 
um, you know, find some grat like gratitude and all this or whatever, maybe because it has pushed me to my limits. Like I am being pushed to my limits. I have had to um, look um, um, like deep inside me. Like, like I have, sometimes it feels like, like I have to be um, the strongest advocate that I have for myself and my daughter. Um, and so from that, right, like you really know your strength, you really know, um, fuck anything that you're willing to do for your daughter, you know, for your kids, for yourself. Um, and so I think, um, um, I think ultimately like, um, you know, I've become more powerful. I'm, I'm aware of my power. And so every day I have to remind myself, like I have to step into my power, whether like I fully believe it or not, right? And that, and that goes um, with my relationship with my daughter. And this is something that I teach her now too. Like I have to tell her like you're brave, like you're, you're sacred. And I have to treat her that way so that she knows that wherever she goes, like, that's the expectation and nothing less you know um and so you know like I I always now talk um share with my daughter like her birthing story like like when she was born who was there um just because my connection with her like I it's so much more like important to me now because it's being disrupted so I'm fighting for that you know? And so, like, I'm committed to this relationship, like, no other. Thank you for, for sharing your vulnerability. I think um, uh, it's powerful, you know, there's there's power in, in, in vulnerability. For me, like, on a personal note, like, I did, I woke up super early today because I know the conversations we're going to have are going to be uh, intense. For me, it's triggering, right? Um, and so I had to do a lot of warning so that I can engage uh, and then and open up about these things that are very painful, right? Um, in terms of how it's impact my mothering, my relationship, definitely similar. You know, it's it's just been it's just uh, strengthened my relationship with my kids, but also uh, very hyper aware of a lot of things from the way I talk to them, from how am I dealing with their emotions from how I keep my home, because now I feel like my home always has to be clean. Like, I'm just, I'm afraid that it's ever, like, there's dishes or anything, because, again, that fear of, like, if anyone shows up, like, they can't, I always need to have a a shitload of food in the refrigerator, because I don't want them to, you know, like, so many things that I feel like other people don't have to worry about. I'm worrying about what they're wearing, how they look, just constantly, because I'm afraid of that. So that that's one aspect of it, like the hyper-awareness. Um, in terms of, of my parenting, it's, it's developing a stronger relationship in terms of how do I help them build an emotional strength and intelligence that, that allows them to navigate the suffering that we go through. Um, and it's, it's having conversations. It's, um, it's, it's having, it's a lot of times having conversations and then sometimes revealing them through art, through music, you know, uh, through play, through workout and just connecting it back to like safety, healing, um, health, uh, a lot of that. So that, that's uh, a lot of what, what it's impacted because definitely, you know, living, um, 
I think one of the worst things to navigate as a mom, as a, as a woman is, is having to wake up every day and feeling like it may be the last time you can connect with your kid in, in a, in a way that you have like that, that power over, over that relationship. And, and I, I've, I've learned to, to cope, cope with it. Uh, unfortunately have to forcefully cope with it because um waking up like that every day, it, it, it just uh, created, like, like Nettie said, you know, it, it pushed me to my limits, right? Like I, I got to a place where, you know, you lose control of yourself and your situation and, and you feel like no one can help you and no one can understand and you lack certain resources. But then again, um, that's why the work that I do, uh, it, it feels my work. It, it really feels my work because uh, the anger and the pain it funnels into that, into my writing, into the research that I do, and, and to really call out how the system is perpetuating, perpetuating this pain. And so um, it's definitely connected, you know, how, how I'm parenting, but also how I'm doing the work. Um, earlier, earlier, I was reading uh, even like Malcolm X's, rereading Malcolm X's, uh, you know, autobiography. And, and it, you know, it took me back again, where he said, um, we were state children, court words. He had the full say over us, a white man in charge of a black man's children, nothing but legal modern slave, slavery, however kindly intention, right? Like there's folks been talking about this for a long time. And, and here we are having this conversations and having to practice different methods of resistance for our children as people of color, as mothers of color. And so it's, it's definitely painful and it impacts how I'm, I'm teaching my children because I'm so aware of the little things that can impact them because I don't want to pass that trauma. But then again, it's so much responsibility because on some days I don't want to wash dishes. And then, you know, who's going to wash them for me? Like no one. And so it's, it's, it's a hard balance, but I, I try to, again, going back to gratitude, find, find, find places and people where I can, you know, grow with and, and be in a balanced state of mind because otherwise you know, uh, according to many of these uh, therapists, I'd probably be diagnosed with everything in their list, you know. Um, we're getting close to, to wrapping up. So there's one more question for both of you. It's a two-part question. Um, if you could just share um, one of the biggest challenges you've had to face and, and then based on that, what kind of advice would you give to any other mom of color who's experiencing similar challenges with the court system or with facing institutional violence? Um, I think my biggest challenge is really like accepting that this is what happened and all the emotions and everything that comes with it. So really working through like the shame and the guilt and everything else, um, because I think there's a lot of shame um, in all the silence, like in even having to be involved in any way with the courts, right? Um, especially like family court, it's it, like folks have various experiences. Um, and so I think um, um, that has been my biggest challenge, but I think like even that is connected to everything else. Like even like, how do I, um, how do I show up for myself while also showing up for my daughter? Because it like, um, like there has been days where, um, where I don't want to do anything. Like I just want to like lay in bed and cry or whatever it is. Right. Um, and so again, like keeping myself, um, present or sane or whatever like whatever it may be so I think um you know the, the 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 emotions that come with it that you don't even know 
what they are. Like I can't even name them sometimes. Um, but I feel a certain way and I'm angry and I'm sad and I'm happy, like all within three seconds and all of that can change, you know, and it goes back to like, wow, like this just happened, you know, like this for real happened and what can I do? And feeling like, like powerless, like, you know, like that quote that you just read, Catherine, it's like, that's exactly what it sometimes feels like, you know? And it is true, like, like, you know, and I think it's very hard to, to, to deal with this. Um, and also, like, me also being able to name it and articulate it and conceptualize it, right? And so it's like, it, it's this rage that I also feel like, fuck, like, this is for real happening, right? Like, this is for real happening, and this is what it looks like. Um, and like it's a rage and it, it, and it's also like um you know like what keeps me moving forward like no like i like i have to push myself i have to um so it's it's yeah like that's what it is uh yeah for me one of the biggest challenges was um isolation i think that uh being isolated i isolated myself from everything everyone um from family, from community, uh, it, it was it was harmful. Uh, it was very hard to overcome because I tried dealing with everything on my own, trying to end the violence on my own, and and that was hard, right? It, it got to extremes where my life uh, was in danger, and so that that was one of the biggest challenges. Um, as a woman of color who's experienced a system all my life, like I I fear it, you know having the system involved. Period, and so that's hard because then you, you really have to figure out ways to like, how do you deal with it then? Right. And, and it, I reached the extremes and that made me fall into uh, all these cases again. But, um, so that, that was a, a big challenge for me. And in terms of, of given that one of the biggest advice I, I would have is, is, um, to know that you're not alone. Um, because oftentimes we feel like oh, we're drowning in a lot of the things, right? Like how do we, how can we be present when, your mind is constantly thinking that something's going to happen. And so I've learned to pay attention to those emotions and thoughts and, and understand that, you know what, like, I'm, I'm not alone. There's so many women, so many mujeres that are going through this. And you know what, like, I do have family, fortunately. I do have a community of friends and, and, and support. And so reaching out is very, very important. I learned how to ask for help better. Um, I, I, now I'm like, shit, like I will hit you up. You know, I don't care. Like I'm, I'm, if I'm going through it, I need to learn how to ask for help. And I think that's hard for us, uh, who, you know, these, these things make us isolate ourselves because there's so much, so much stigma around navigating these systems, right? There's so much stigma around custody of, of children and all of that. Like, so, I would say um, another thing is is to pay attention to your body. I think when when we pay attention to our body and and begin to care for it the way it deserves to be cared for, like it makes our uh, just our, our our mental strength it, it it increases that right. Like how it just it, it's helped me um, to pay attention to my body and understand that I carry so much trauma, and that now I want to take care of it. And and because when I take care of it, I can I can be there for others. Um, and so with that reach out, you know, um, we're here, I'm here uh, for, for any type of support in terms of how to navigate the legality of things and also um, how to begin to heal from these things or cope with them because 
given that I, I've, I've been through it for so long and, and I, I've, I've, I've had to, I push myself to develop these coping mechanisms so that I can not uh, drown myself in the pain, but rather understand it, you know, look at it in the face and then be there for my children and for my community who really, really uh, need the support. Yes, thank you both. Um, oh my goodness, this is a good emotional roller coaster. <laughs> thank you for sharing. I think this is why I, I decided that it would be powerful to bring both of you in here because uh, I know your experiences are very different, but what your um, the violence is is very much similar. What's happening to both of you? How you're being taken? Your children are being taken away from you, and also being, um, you know, told that they're they're better caregivers than you are is it has always been an insane thought to me and so when I would hear Nettie talking to me about um sharing how you know they allowed this person to take her daughter for a whole week I just the thought to me was insane I cannot believe that the same person that was so toxic to you has now legal rights to your daughter you know and that to me was really hard to even try to understand that I felt like you need to talk about this. You need to bring it out to the world and let people know, don't hold it to yourself because it is very common for, um, for you to isolate yourself because it's that shame and that blame that the court you know, puts you in where that's your fault. You put this on yourself and now we have to pull your children and raise them because you don't know how to do that. And that is crazy. And I think that a lot of times, uh, a lot of women are going through this and a lot of times we don't talk about it. Um, and it's always blaming the, the the mothers for this, right? Whether it's because of, you're blamed because of the partner. Well, you, you know, why did you select this partner? Um, it was your fault. And so, you know, it's all these things that keep on happening. It's always blaming the mother, blaming the mother as it is. Uh, we already take in so much, you know, work and we're you're never at, you know, rest, right? Even when you feel like you're at home, you want to take a rest. You can't because you don't know who's going to come in and just judge you, your parenting. So that was hard. So thank you too for, for sharing that. I wanna be um, keep in mind the time, um, but I do uh, acknowledge that this is hard conversations and I hope that we, um, we continue this uh, again um, and then just kind of disrupting this idea of that you're on, in this on your own and you have to deal with it on your own, right? It's not like that, it shouldn't be like that. And I do hope that well, there folks that are, reading, are listening to this can um, find the strength I think you use very powerful words to let people know that you're not alone and reach out and talk to people and don't think that you're, you're, um, you're being judged. I think it's very, it's hard to ask for help, but it's very much needed. We have to ask for help. So thank you both of you. It's a heavy morning on a Friday, but I, and I, also, yeah, for our listeners, just quickly before you all go, if anybody wants to reach out to you, um, you know, I know, Catherine, you mentioned you're not alone. I'm sure there are folks out there who are going to listen to this and are going to relate. Um, is there a way for them to to reach you? Yeah, I would say um, through my email. Um, I don't know what can be listed on the notes of the podcast, um, but it's kmald 4 at UCR. And for me, um, email is probably the best way. Um, Nereida.c.oliva at gmail.com. And um, I'm sure it'll... It, would also be added yeah uh we can definitely add it to our website and the, the notes for the episode thank you again so much dr neri oliva and soon to be doctora Catherine. Ooh, Catherine. Uh, we really appreciate you being open and honest and um hope to continue having these conversations thank you all for having us yes thank you and take care everyone
Please don't forget to follow us on social media at Chicana Motherwork on Instagram and Facebook and at Chicana Mothers on Twitter. And please rate our podcast so people like you can find us. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thank Dr. Marta Gonzalez for giving us permission to use the music of Entre Mujeres Sirena for our intro and Vagabundo for Quetzal for our outro. Purchase our book. You can order it through the University of Arizona Press. You could find the link on our website at chicanamotherwork.com. Thank you.